I'm Dr. Suzanne McMurtry-Baird. I'm the Nursing Director at Clinical Concepts in Obstetrics. Today, our podcast is on levels of maternal care. I'm going to start the podcast with a clinical scenario that is very familiar to you. Imagine this woman in your care. She's a gravid of five, para five, zero, zero, five. She's experienced a postpartum hemorrhage following a vaginal birth. Her estimated blood loss has been 3,200 milliliters. No quantified blood loss has been calculated. Her current blood pressure is 72 over 38. Her heart rate is 144. Her respiratory rate is 28. She is agitated, disoriented. Her intake and output has been 2,500 milliliters of crystalloid in, and her urine output is 22 milliliters over the past two hours. She has pulses that are difficult to palpate. Are you prepared to take care of this woman? She is critically ill. She's in shock. Are you going to transport her to the ICU? If you do, do the providers in the adult ICU know how to care for this woman? Should she remain in your hospital? These are all questions that we ask ourselves in clinical practice. Where does the, is the best place for this woman to be cared for? The levels of maternal care have been discussed since the 1970s. In 1976, the March of Dimes and its partners conceptualized an integrated system for regionalized perinatal care in a report titled, Toward Improving the Outcome of Pregnancy. This report outlined criteria for levels of neonatal and maternal care based on the complexity of care and also recommended referral to the appropriate higher level of care based on resources and personnel to care for these patients. In many states, one of the outcomes of this report was a coordinated regionalization of perinatal care with regional or tertiary care centers identified. However, the concepts for levels of care focused almost entirely on neonatal needs in most states. It has taken us 40 years now for a coordinated effort to establish levels of maternal care that are distinct from but complementary to neonatal levels. In the interim, making sure that a mom received the appropriate care has been disorganized and and left to individual discretion. This has meant that whether, when, where, and how a pregnant woman is transported to another facility for care was not a structured process. Here are some examples of outcomes that have resulted from this non-structured process. A provider or facility may have desired to transport a woman to another facility, but could not identify a receiving facility. This could have been due to many of the clinical scenarios or a variety of reasons, including bed availability, lack of uh, process or a system to transport the patient, no accepting physician, or insurance coverage. It could have also meant that a woman was allowed to remain at a facility and transport not considered or required even if her, nurse, if her needs exceeded the resources of a facility. Let me give you another example. Imagine you're working at a hospital with a level two NICU. A 24-week patient comes in and she delivers precipitously. The neonatologist then announces 
the baby's not going to be transported to a level three or four NICU because she knows how to take care of these babies. She was trained. She has experience and is well competent in caring for this 24-weeker in this level two facility. This would probably not be allowed in that NICU, and yet that's exactly what happens in OB units all over the country. With the U.S. data reflecting a substantial rise in severe maternal morbidity and mortality, there is now a renewed effort to focus specifically on maternal health conditions that warrant designation as high risk and to define specific clinical care systems criteria to manage such conditions. Therefore, in 2015, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine outlined risk-appropriate maternal care in their document entitled Obstetric Care Consensus Statement. There were four objectives to this document. Number one, to introduce uniform designations for levels of maternal care that are complementary but distinct from the levels of neonatal care. These levels of care specifically address maternal health needs. The second objective was to develop standardization of definitions and nomenclature for facilities. The third objective was to provide consistent guidelines according to level of maternal care for use in quality improvement and health promotion. And then the final objective was to foster the development and an equitable geographic distribution of full-service maternal care facilities and systems that promote proactive, that's key word, proactive, integration of risk-appropriate antepartum, intrapartum, and postpartum services. The levels of care outlined in the 2015 document included birthing centers, level 1, level 2, level 3, and level 4 facilities similar to our neonatal levels of care. For each level of care, there was also an outlined definition of care, capabilities of the facility, types of healthcare providers, and provided examples of appropriate patients that may be included in care at the different levels of care. In addition, this document outlined nursing services, availability of primary delivery providers, obstetric surgeons, maternal fetal medicine providers, director of obstetric services, anesthesiology, intensive care, and subspecialty services were outlined. The capabilities at each level builds as the woman's care needs become more complex, the exact building that the neonatal levels of care had. Let me give you some examples. A level one facility was defined as low-risk women with uncomplicated pregnancies and women with higher-risk conditions, such as the following, an uncomplicated twin gestation, for example, a woman laboring after a previous cesarean section, an uncomplicated cesarean delivery, a woman with preeclampsia, or a woman with well-controlled gestational diabetes. A level two example may be any woman appropriate for that level one care plus higher risk conditions, such as the following. A woman with a placenta previa with no previous uterine surgery. A woman 
with medical conditions that require additional monitoring, such as pregestational diabetes. A woman with poorly controlled asthma or poorly controlled or uncomplicated chronic hypertension. These would all be a level two um, examples of a, a woman with a, at a level two facility. Examples at a level three facility, any woman appropriate for level two care plus higher risk conditions or complications such as the following. Moderate maternal cardiac disease. Suspected placental accreta spectrum disorder or a previa with a previous uterine surgery. Acute fatty liver of pregnancy. Coagulation disorders. Complex hematologic or autoimmune disorders. Expectant management of preeclampsia with severe features remote from term. All of these are some examples of of women who may deliver at a level three facility. And then we have our level four. That would be any woman appropriate for level three care plus higher risk conditions or complications such as the following. Severe maternal cardiac conditions, severe pulmonary hypertension, women who required neurosurgery or cardiac surgery, pregnant women in unstable condition or a need for an organ transplant, those would all be some examples of level four facility patients. In 2019, August of 2019 specifically, this consensus statement was updated. One of the most common questions that arose subsequent to the publication of the first levels of maternal care document was related to the availability of personnel, particularly the requirements for personnel to be available or present on site. Therefore, the 2019 added additional details on that availability, specifically for MFM and subspecialty providers. Clarification was also provided on massive transfusion and blood product availability at the different levels. And another clarification was related to ICU capabilities in level four centers. Now, this may, this clarification may affect some standing women's hospitals or women's hospitals in a children's hospital. The clarification stated that if a woman must be transported by ambulance to an ICU, that that was not considered on-site. Therefore, those sites could not be classified as Level 4 facilities. So that document really provided us with some extra clarification. So I would encourage you to pull that document and look at those clarifications. The CDC has also supported the levels of maternal care recommendations through their Levels of Care Assessment Tool, abbreviated LOCATE, which can be found on the CB CDC website. As of February in 2019, there have been 15 states that are participating in the CDC LOCATE process. Some states have also started their own initiatives independent of this process, However, in most states, these efforts have been coordinated through state health departments. So where do we go from here? Many hospitals will recognize the need to improve care of high-risk and critically ill pregnant women or even establish an OBICU program. Remember, the key concept is that all hospitals providing OB care must have resources and training to manage the most common obstetric emergencies, such as hemorrhage and hypertension. We all have to be prepared for those two most common complications. Also, all facilities need to have the ability to stabilize, and that's keyword, stabilize that 
that patient, then provide initial care for any woman being able to accomplish transfer if needed. So let's think about transport. What does that mean? Transfer may mean to an ICU in your own facility. Transfer may also mean to a higher level of care in your own service to, for example, an OBICU. Transfer may also then mean to another hospital. Another key goal to remember, regionalized maternal care is for high-risk pregnant women to receive the care in facilities that are prepared to provide that level of care. Okay, what is their level of expertise? What are their specialized capabilities? Being prepared requires a systematic approach to program development. Increasing your hospital's level of care is not about a specific skill set for nurses or physicians. Again, using a neonatal example, let's think about that. Imagine if your hospital wanted to increase the neonatal level of care, and the only component to planning and training included a new skill set for the nurses, like how to set up and manage an uh, umbilical line. To apply this example to obstetrics, Taking care of a woman with severe range pressures is not about teaching nurses how to manage arterial lines. That is just a specific skill set. How do you manage advanced medications, second-line medications? So where do we start? You have to start with a thorough evaluation of your current systems, your current resources, and processes to provide care for women with complications. What is your actual level of care versus your perceived level of care? And then where is your desired level of care? That assessment of level of um, care also needs and requires what is your level of commitment from all involved? For example, what is the level of commitment from nursing, medicine, your subspecialty providers, administration, which is very important to consider. What is the commitment for financial support? And what is your, air, your level of commitment from risk management? Then you can embark on program development. And the key word there is program development. This, again, is not about a specific skill set. Now that you've listened to this podcast, let's think about this next clinical scenario. She's a 28-week estimated gestational age woman who presents in hypertensive crisis. Her blood pressure ranges have been 174 to 196 over 112 to 120. She's received 50 milligrams of hydralazine IV total dose. She's had a beta blocker. Her urine output is 10 to 12 milliliters per hour. Her fetal monitor exhibits late decelerations and decreased baseline variability. In thinking about your clinical environment, your current clinical environment, your capabilities to care for this woman, what is the appropriate level of care for this woman? She is critically ill. She requires a second-line antihypertensive management. She requires hemodynamic monitoring. ICU admission is necessary because she's critically ill. Are you prepared to take care of this woman? Is your hospital prepared to either transport or care for this woman? 
I'm going to close the podcast with a quote from my partner, Dr. Stephanie Martin. Your level of care is not determined by how sick your patients are. Your level of care is determined by how prepared you are to care for these sick patients. Thank you for attending the podcast today.